Hello and welcome. My name is Chris Woodward and I'm the Head of Engagement Delivery at Strongbow Consulting Group. And I am excited to welcome you back to our podcast series. This is part two of a two-part series. In part one, we discussed the difference between cloud-first and cloud-fit migration strategies. Today, we're going to discuss a topic that's also on the minds of many enterprise executives in the IT space, and that is how to manage their financial exposure to the cloud. So to peel back this topic and do more of what we like to do and find some truth, I've invited, as before, my colleague, Alex Petrov. He's a managing consultant here at Strongbow. Alex leads some of our very largest engagements and projects in the finance, retail, and healthcare verticals. Prior to joining Strongbow, Alex spent over 15 years in a number of Fortune 500 companies as an IT leader. And in that capacity, he was responsible for directing global IT teams and strategic programs. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Alex and let him dive in. Thank you, Chris. Um, last time we talked about the importance of taking a strategic view of moving enterprise workloads into the cloud. And we talked about methodologies to do that. It's a real challenge for many companies as they're moving past proof of concept exercises into really massive cloud deployment. And today's topic is very closely related to that. And the topic is how to optimize the cloud spend. Just like migration, it's becoming a really major challenge for enterprises of all sizes. Uh, in fact, we have worked with some clients who found it very easy to get started with the cloud, just throwing some basic governance in place. And one year later, they would discover that those controls are not sufficient on the scale that they're operating. You know, one or two years later, costs are quote unquote out of control. And uh, the issue is a CIO level problem. Um, and in terms of cost, we're seeing reports and also firsthand from our clients that about one quarter of a typical IT budget now is linked to various cloud services. And 10% of that is infrastructure platform as a service. So these are now significant dollars and uh, the spend is only getting bigger. Yeah, that's that's interesting. It, it just seems like what you're describing is, is totally explosive growth. Um, so, I mean, can you tell me a little bit about some of the factors that, that play into uh, this explosion in costs? Yes, yeah, certainly. And uh, it's, it's really important uh, to, to underscore that uh, it's not a one-dimensional problem or just moving the cost dial, as uh, many IT teams are accustomed to do, uh, with hardware maintenance or network transport when it's just a matter of vendor negotiations and, you know, voila, you, you, you've met your budget. Uh, so it really is important to consider it from multiple angles. And uh, what we've seen is that, you know, too much governance around cost uh, control and uh, you suddenly may defeat the purpose. The original benefits of the cloud suddenly may be gone. So it's really important to not throw the baby with the bathwater, so to speak, and uh, to manage those costs, control them while preserving the fundamental benefit of agility, innovation, on-demand consumption, which were the first initial reasons for you to, to go to the cloud. So you're right, there are multiple factors beyond cost, which are really business benefits of the cloud. Yeah, you know, I noticed I, I, when I'm talking about 
this type of thing in any area, I like to use the word optimization. I noticed you didn't use the word optimization there when you were describing that. Um, was that deliberate? Tell, tell me a little bit more about you know how you view how you view cost control, cost reduction. Is it a straight optimization play? Is it more complicated? Yeah, it's 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 another important point to make. What we're seeing is that uh, this exercise is not necessarily cost reduction. Uh, it really depends on where you are with the cloud and the overarching cloud benefits. Uh, so for some companies, uh, instead of cost optimization or cost reduction, the pressing challenge is how to bend the curve so that instead of exponentially increasing cost, they could just bring those costs under control, under some semblance of control so that they would not be as rapidly escalating. Um, sometimes we're seeing that the spend needs to increase. Maybe you need to purchase some enabling tools uh, or some, you know, additional instruments like CASB just to make sure that you stay compliant. Uh, so it really depends on the situation, uh, and that's why one size fits all really doesn't work here. And also to reiterate, uh, we assume that there is some overarching financial or strategic rationale to moving IT services to the cloud. What we're talking about here is not that business case. It really is the case for for managing your costs, controlling your costs, minimizing waste, maximizing efficiency without negatively impacting the users. That's really the scope of this discussion. Got it. And that's, I mean, that's always one of the most important considerations. Um, not negatively impacting end users, not negatively impacting ongoing operations, right? Um, this, this is uh, the case with in all areas, right? Network, um, mobility. Um, these are just areas that come to mind when I think about optimization or, you know, getting, getting ahead of, of increasing costs. Those are areas where you have to take an active, a proactive approach to managing those costs. And you have to, you have to have a plan, um, that is, you know, that you execute in order to do it, um, you, you know, to, uh, to keep, keep costs under control, but not negatively impact the users. And, you know, when I say that, I also think about all of the times where, you know, clients of ours have, have shut down, you know, otherwise good ideas to control costs or to optimize costs because of a concern, a fear real or, or, uh, or perceived that it would negatively impact applications, operations, or, or end users. So I think we're going to dive in next, maybe just to some ideas that you're going to bring forward as to how to make it so. Is that right? Yeah, that, that, that's right. And uh, there are many ways uh, to uh, manage uh, cloud costs. So first, we'll talk about reservations and resizing. This is the most uh, traditional way of, of doing that. Uh, we'll talk about private pricing and other commercial measures to control costs. Then we'll talk about the longer term and greater reward type of opportunity of rewriting applications so that they could run on a different lower cost infrastructure. And lastly, we'll talk about demand management. Okay. So reservations and resizing, as I mentioned, this is the traditional way to, to manage uh, 
cloud instances, uh, particularly virtual machines. Oftentimes, it's the most common starting point just to get those costs under control. Interestingly enough, when we look into the enterprise deployments, even previously optimized deployments, we're still seeing a lot of opportunities related to reservations and resizing. And the idea is really look at the typical workload and look at the profile of that workload uh, historically and also looking forward and uh, to decide if it's worth reserving it because it's relatively stable and expected to perform so for the foreseeable future or to see if uh, if it's aligned to the right virtual machine uh, and possibly if it's possible to change the size of that machine to lower size. Uh, typically, reserved instances, they will generate 20 to 50% savings. It really depends on the duration of the reservation and um, the, the terms of uh, of the particular cloud service provider uh, that you're working with. Resizing can also generate good returns uh, for previously unoptimized resizing that has drifted out of alignment. Uh, we've seen 10, 20% savings. Uh, and another important point here is that even though we're talking about computational capacity and uh, CPU power, uh, some applications are not constrained by that. Uh, some are constrained by memory, some are even constrained by input-output, I.O. Uh, constrained. So in addition to choosing the right capacity, uh, there may be a need to migrate uh, to, to the right type of a VM. Yeah, it's interesting when we talk about reservations and we talk about resizing of instances. You know, these, these topics tend to be perceived, at least on the surface, as very straightforward, um, very easy to achieve. Yet, my experience, I'm curious about yours, is that a fraction of the opportunities that are out there that are identified by our clients or, or we, we bring forward, um, at least initially get executed upon. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what are your thoughts? Why, why, why is that the case? First of all, you're right. Uh, we see it a lot. Uh, and uh, one possible explanation is uh, the gap between perceived risk of reserving or resizing the instance and the actual risk or the real risk. Uh, and some team resist any change, even when such risks are minor or zero. Uh, in some other cases, uh, there is just no good reporting. So lack of those insights lack of governance and holding teams accountable gets in the way. Uh, Sometimes uh, what we see is that uh, IT teams just do not know how to mitigate the risks of reserved instances, and they suspect uh, that uh, somehow those workloads would would go away soon and they would up uh, on the hook uh, for the balance of the spend. And those risks could be mitigated. There is there are private exchanges, there are ways to return instances to the vendor. So those risks could be managed, but we still see this uh, continued sustained gap between perceived risk of making those reservations, resizing VMs, and the actual risks. Yeah, that that makes sense. You know, um, I think it's an illusion a lot of times that, that those things are easy. Um, the reality is that it, it takes hard work, it takes due diligence and discovery to successfully go execute on those opportunities. Um, so I'm gonna switch gears a bit because I want to talk 
a little bit about something that you know I love to do, and that is negotiate um, with vendors on behalf of our clients. What what is what's the story there? Um, I know we've talked a little bit maybe in the past about private pricing when it comes to AWS. What does that look like, you know, overall in the landscape of, of uh, cloud vendors? Yeah, so private pricing has been gaining in prominence. Uh, your cloud spend is approaching uh, 3 to $5 million a year. And for a lot of companies, it's uh, becoming the case. Then you would be able to negotiate additional discounts by making a commitment to, to spend on the cloud services. Could be one year, could be multi-year commitment. Uh, the percentage would depend on that commitment. It would depend uh, on the cloud service provider, but all of them are very interested in locking uh, you as a customer, locking down your spend, uh, locking uh, your team into learning more about their product. Uh, so that's why this particular part of the cloud commercial agreements has been booming lately. Now, you still need to read the fine print and understand the asterisks. Uh, and the one important exclusion is reserved instances, which are not included in private pricing. Yeah, understood. You know, as we talk about negotiating, I think a perception out there that probably, in my opinion, needs to be smashed that many enterprises have is that is that you know cloud agreements are basically take it or leave it. The pricing is is published, it's set. Um, you know, if I look back many many years ago, this is something that the the telecoms wanted to do, right? They wanted to put pricing in in tariffs, and and then you know we saw as you know large large enterprises started to wield their buying power. Uh, you know that those that those uh, those perceptions were indeed smashed. Where are we in that evolution as it relates to the cloud? I got to imagine it's coming, but are we there yet in a place where negotiating can drive big benefits for enterprises? Um, I imagine we probably could spend a lot of time diving into exactly how to do that. Maybe we can just get started here. Uh, yes, and uh, first of all, uh, you're correct. Uh, today, uh, the customization of cloud service agreements is minimal. When we ask the clients about their contracts, oftentimes they just point us to the uh, you know, published uh, boilerplate agreements on the web. Um, um, and uh, that likely will evolve uh, as uh, customers uh, gain some leverage uh, and understand what, what's really important to them. Um, and I would say that uh, we understand where the providers are coming from because they, they really want to minimize any customization. They want to minimize deviation so that more of their resources would go into operations as opposed to sales. But still, clients uh, have some very specific requirements um, and uh, they must satisfy those requirements, whether it is related to audits, whether it is related to some operational flexibility, uh, and that's why it's really important to exploit all levers possible, everything available to the enterprise clients to get the, the need, what they need, to get the agreement that they need. And uh, we talk about private pricing, which suddenly you know, became an opportunity to 
to to to focus on, but there may be others. Um, as far as cost uh, and uh, financial benefits are concerned, uh, there may be some opportunity to aggregate the spend into multiple accounts under enterprise agreement, uh, link other spend, uh, for instance, with Microsoft uh, uh, under under the same umbrella, pursue group buys. We've seen that as well. Um, we also have seen some cloud providers becoming more flexible than others, in particular Google under their new CEO in leadership the last two years is showing a lot more empathy towards its clients. So I agree with you, the game is evolving. We shouldn't expect uh, the contracts to be infinitely flexible, but we'll see a lot more customization than what we have today. Makes sense. You know, to me, it's all about generating leverage and then using that leverage to, to, to achieve a result that's positive Mm -hmm. um, to your bottom line. Right. You know, on that topic, in my mind, one of the most effective ways to generate leverage is to create some competition. I'm curious what you're seeing out there as you're working with our clients. Are you seeing them still prioritizing their cloud spend with a single provider, or are you seeing companies move more towards a multi-provider model? Right. We, we've seen... Uh, the, the continued trend of picking one dominant strategic cloud partner. Uh, and that partner could be supplemented with technical use of others, driven maybe by geography, like data jurisdiction, or maybe just hedging some risks related to strategic partner. But it's interesting because for all the talk about multi-cloud environment, uh, companies are still having a dominant cloud partner, and we expect that to, to continue for some time. Got it. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's interesting. Um, I think it's something that is going to, to need to change if, uh, if companies wish to uh, exploit the maximum leverage. So hopefully there's, there's more to come on that. And I'm hopeful that through some of our work with, with clients, we can, and help generate some of that, that change. So what's next? Well, the next bucket is very different from what we just talked about, and it is about rewriting applications to make them compatible with new type of infrastructure, specifically spot instances, serverless infrastructure, and containers. So these are all fundamentally different ways to approach uh, server and, and uh, storage and uh, overall IT infrastructure. Uh, they all promise a different you know, approach and higher uh, ROI or lower TCO, but it also implies transformation of services and uh, rethinking how you approach writing applications, how you approach uh, microservices. Uh, so it's not as straightforward as just resizing or are reserving your virtual machines. Yeah, it sounds so not as straightforward. And I'd imagine that when compared to resizing or reserving instances, that those type of actions, this takes longer, right? It, it sure does. Uh, multiple years. Uh, and, uh, and the outcome, frankly, is not just lower infrastructure cost. Companies are doing it primarily for business benefits. Uh, and process improvements uh, so that in addition to this uh, lower total cost of ownership, uh, they would really 
recalibrate how IT is developed and how it's supported. And my favorite example is a company, one company I used to work for, and now they can run changes to their production environment in the middle of a weekday as opposed to midnight on a Saturday. And uh, that's because their infrastructure is now designed to scale horizontally. Right. I'm sure a lot of people are not at all disappointed that there will be no more 2 a.m. conference calls one day. Um, <laughs> so um, uh, what, about, what about demand management? Yeah, so that was uh, the the last or number four opportunity to manage costs, and uh, that by itself includes multiple tracks. Okay, so one is what I would call war on waste and elimination of any resources that you're paying for that are not productively adding value. Uh, so some companies, for instance, automatically shut down your dev instances after ninety days. Uh, and they require you to justify why your dev instance need to stay active. So this is the equivalent of, uh, of uh, uh, zero-based budgeting approach, okay? Some companies have policies to shut down dev and QA for nights and weekends, uh, although that may be limited to simple instances. We've seen that uh, in case you have kind of clusters of VMs, uh, that, that may pose a difficulty. But again, the same idea of how we eliminate waste. How do we shut down anything that's not adding value that we're still paying for? So some other companies are placing the burden onto users uh, and they create chargebacks. In fact, when we interviewed one of cloud directors, uh, he, he said, and I quote, the only way to achieve accountability is to implement chargebacks. And I personally have my doubts about that being the way or the only way uh, because only because users have budget for it and they can spend companies' money on it doesn't mean that they'll spend it well and spend those uh, that money productively. Yeah, I mean, I have an opinion on that too, Alex. I think it it aligns with yours uh, that uh, that it really just shifts the problem and doesn't it doesn't necessarily solve it. Chargebacks, of course, have their place and they also fit in better with some industries and some firms than they do others. Uh, what's the, so what's the alternative to, uh, to that approach? Right. So first of all, to, to your point, so chargebacks may be limited. Finance doesn't normally love them uh, because they create a lot of work kind of moving money from left pocket to right pocket. There may be various policies for chargebacks. So there may be some minimum um, amounts. Uh, there may be issues with cross-region P&Ls. Uh, so bottom line, what's really important here is to ensure budgeting and funding for new demand. For instance, if a line of business needs new service, then they need to fund that demand for the current year. And for the next year, the demand would shift to IT. We've seen this work, uh, at least work better than just straightforward you know, chargeback. Um, and that would position IT to drive continuous optimization of, of the cloud spend. Got it. So we've talked about optimization or you know, reserving, resizing. We've talked about negotiations. We've talked about proactive demand management. Is that it? Are there other ways that the enterprise can work to reduce their spend? Well, this is the primary ones that we have seen and seen work. Uh, uh, it's probably important to underscore that there has to be a process that threads them all 
and oftentimes it's referred as governance. So this really means establishing the ground rules for, uh, for, for financial spend, for maintaining the environment. It's how you make the decisions and how you also share learnings and promote best practices uh, and all other oversight areas. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, governance is, of course, very important in a number of areas. I imagine when we talk about the cloud, just like those other areas, it's the way that that takes shape is going to have a lot to do with the particular company's culture, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And sometimes uh, there's uh, there's this uh, negative or maybe even punitive connotation uh, with governance. A lot of companies really implies jumping through the hoops. It implies challenging process. Uh, it doesn't have to be the case. Uh, you know, one um, director, director at FedEx that I talked to, she actually talked about the, the, the culture of blamelessness. Uh, so that's big part of how they govern cloud. Basically, how do you learn from mistakes so that others do not repeat them? And I used to work for FedEx, and I could see how they can afford that, uh, that they have very strong, very positive culture, culture of accountability. So uh, it enables them to decentralize this decision-making as opposed to sitting everybody at one table and reviewing all the decisions at that table all the time. Uh, so you don't need that. You can decentralize decisions and still hold the teams accountable without micromanaging them. Uh, so basically engaging, empowering end users, empowering leaders, taking risks, sharing lessons learned, being transparent is great, but it's not easy and probably it's not for any company. It may be proclaimed, but it really takes hard work to make it happen and it really needs to fit with your culture. That, that makes sense. So I think we have a little bit of time left here and I believe our last major topic that we wanted to cover is uh, is something that that is uh, a favorite of mine if you've ever been to my garage you would know um, is uh, talking about tools a little different kind of tools here we're going to talk about optimization tools um, as it relates to to the cloud what um, what would you like to tell us about that yeah tools are really fundamental uh part of optimizing cloud, controlling cloud span, they really align to all that we have just talked about. And it's it's a fair question to ask the companies, what's in your garage? Uh, what kind of tools you have there and what you're still missing and which tools are probably no longer fitting uh, what you need to accomplish. Because uh, some people think that the tools and best practices are you know just the answer, you just throw the tools in and put in some governance, quote unquote, Cloud COE, and and you're done. Uh, the reality is more complicated. And if you're serious about identifying and permanently eliminating thirty percent of uh, your spend, as uh, which is average waste uh, percentage, you really need to go deeper beyond just tools uh, and beyond just uh, designating cloud COE, and really understand the business context of your applications. That makes sense uh, to me that, you know, identifying based on data, the fact that an optimization or an improvement is, is possible is something very different from understanding, you know, exactly why that is the case 
and understanding if that will continue to be the case. Do, do you think I, I mean, to me, like a, a parallel I would draw is, you know, maybe something simple is, is a, uh, a, uh, an air card, um, which is probably a word we haven't heard in many years, but, uh, you know, years ago, I remember seeing air card inventories with some of our network clients that showed hundreds or thousands of these devices that were idle for a very long period of time. And so based on that data, you could get rid of them. But based on the context, those devices are uh, essentially disaster recovery for critical users or applications. Is that kind of similar here in terms of, you know, your discussion around context? Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, A lot of tools are looking at historical pattern. If you had an air card yesterday, they would assume you'd need it tomorrow. Um, and this is a little bit like walking around your house at night and uh, if you're looking at the lights that are turned on and you think, well, if it's turned on, it probably needs to be turned on. So I'll keep it on, I'll keep your room lit. Uh, so it's probably not the smartest way to, to manage resources. Um, so you really need to understand why that instance is still on. Should it be on? Should it be transformed? Uh, should it be resized? Uh, uh What's the approach? And you need to do it at scale. You really need to think about capacity, total capacity, and specific types of applications. So you need to map those cloud services to workloads, understand the growth profile, cyclicality, performance, uh, uh, and what's acceptable performance-wise, and maybe even remap privacy and security. We, We talked about it in the first segment that it's, it's hard work, but it really pays off because you'd be able to very closely align your workloads and your infrastructure. Um, and interestingly, since we're talking about ongoing optimizations, these attributes may evolve over time. And uh, I'll give you one example. There are a lot of changing privacy regulations around the world, and those regulations may change the profile of your security uh, Field for, for the application, and that may trigger some changes. You may need to move the application to another cloud provider or maybe even on-prem. Got it. So, I mean, it seems like we're seeing a trend here, common a common thread, which is that, uh, you know, things that may seem straightforward or obvious on the surface when it comes to managing cloud spend is uh, not always not always the case when you peek under the covers a bit. It sounds like tools. If I had to, you know, summarize, it sounds like tools are needed and essential for most companies as they embark on this journey, but they're not a magic bullet. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, what we're seeing is that the companies that solely rely on vendor-provided tools and use them as the way to navigate uh, their uh, forecasting, their budgeting, actually have a lot of difficulty managing those forecasts accurately, and they end up uh, overspending. So one example, uh, working with one of our clients, uh, we, we noticed uh, that uh, their native tool was overstating their monthly spend by 10%, and uh, they were very worried about uh, what would happen and how they would go with budget, and we looked into it and we explained to them that the tool was adding some sort of, you know, Python 
demand uh, that uh, was not materializing, and uh, that really helped them assuage their fears and uh, and proceed uh, with uh, with other more important things than just uh, uh, fearing that uh, their budgets would be blown for the month. Got it. So, you know, something I hear a lot is, you know, something along these lines. We're using cloud health or insert your favorite tool here uh, to optimize our cloud spend and everything is going great. We're on top of it. What would you, what would you say to someone who wants to validate that statement? They want to make sure that they are getting all that they can out of the tool um, and that they're doing everything that they can in using that tool to achieve the best result. What would you tell them? Well, with all due respect for Cloud Health and Cloud Checker and Aptivo and other tool providers, uh, the answer about needing more help is it really depends. If your company has the right resources, dedicated resources with cross-functional representation and uh, the team has combination of technical skills, operational and commercial acumen, and maybe you are in a position to truly control the spend internally without getting any help. What we're seeing instead is a lot of companies end up putting square pegs in round holes and they ask engineers to run the role of procurement. Uh, and that really doesn't work out well. Uh, you know, or there may be an issue, like we talk about culture or processes, and uh, you know, the team may, may not be comfortable asking some real tough questions of the vendor or for that matter, line of business uh, leaders. And that's where an unbiased, informed, really skilled partner could could make a tremendous difference. All right. This has been great, Alex. I know there are a number of topics for follow-up in the coming weeks and, and months. I uh, want to thank you very much for letting me pick your brain. And I want to thank you to all our listeners. Before we sign out, though, I just want to ask you if you have some parting wisdom for us. Yes. And... I would connect it back to the first segment. Uh, and uh, the bottom line is that if you're a large enterprise client and you're considering to move from the cloud proof of concept, initial deployments, and really nibbling at the edges of this modern cloud architecture, you need to make sure that you have a really fully nuanced plan to get there. You need to execute that plan at your own pace. You need to balance your financial requirements, operational requirements, you need to understand regulatory compliance and what you need to track and how you'll track it. And bottom line, instead of just pedal to the metal, you really need to pay attention to the traffic lights. That makes sense. I like the analogy. All right, Alex. Well, thank you very much again. This was fun uh, to all our listeners. See you next time. Thank you.